0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Alliance Church in Lexington, Kentucky. The sermon you're about to hear, Assuming a Posture of Prayer, was preached by Dr. Steve Siemens, Professor Emeritus of Christian Doctrine at Asbury Theological Seminary, on Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 5. It was recorded on January fourteenth, two thousand twenty-four, and is part of our series "When a Church Prays." What well, we do every January. Um, we have a series on prayer to keep our lives individually and our church focused on Jesus. We want Jesus and all that He has has for us. And this morning, we have someone very special with us uh, this this morning that can speak to the heart of each one of us in just the right way. You see, who we have with us by his spirit is the person of Jesus. And the one to tell us about him is Steve Siemens. (laughs) Steve Siemens is a friend of First Alliance. And for many years, he was a professor of Christian doctrine. He and his wife, Carol, have been married 53 years. They have four children and eight grandchildren. Um, I'm going to pray. And then would you welcome Steve Siemens. Jesus, have your way. Have it all. You are safe, you are risen, and you are the bread and the water of life. Holy Spirit, teach us what we do not know. Christ, heal in us the wounds that we have that no one sees. And Father, produce in us that which we cannot produce in ourselves, which is the character and the nature of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the church said together, amen. Would you welcome Steve Siemens?
1: Well, Thank you, Paul. And it's really a privilege for me uh, to get to preach to you this morning, particularly as a part of this series on when a church prays, when a church prays. And I want us to think uh, this morning about assuming a posture of prayer what does that look like? Assuming a posture of prayer. You know, prayer is so vital and important. It's, it's so foundational in our personal lives and in the life of the church. And uh, as I was reflecting on this, I, I, I remembered a, a couple of sentences from a book on prayer, a classic book on prayer written over a hundred years ago by a man named S.D. Gordon. And S.D. Gordon says this, he says, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you have prayed. Well, I just think it's it's wonderful that we as a church right now, how fitting it is that we're starting off this year focusing on prayer. And we can't emphasize enough the importance of a Posture of prayer, both for our congregation and for our individual lives. But what does assuming a posture of prayer actually look like? What does it look like? Well, this morning we want to let Nehemiah, a man in the Old Testament, uh, we don't usually think of Nehemiah in relationship to prayer. We think of him as a man who was involved in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. You remember that years before, they had been torn down when the Jewish people had lost their land and been sent away and carried away into exile. And Nehemiah is the guy that goes back and rebuilds the walls. That's what we remember him for. But this morning, we're going to see that the rebuilding all starts with Nehemiah assuming a posture of fervent, faithful prayer. Actually, when the story opens, Nehemiah is not actually living in Jerusalem. He's 800 miles away in Susa, the capital city of Persia, and it so happens that he's serving the king of Persia. In fact, he was the king's cupbearer, which was a very important position in those days and that put him in close proximity to the king. And it just so happened that one of Nehemiah's brothers and along with several other men had recently visited Jerusalem and they had come back to Persia and they were telling Nehemiah about what they found there. And believe me, what they told him was not good, not good at all. You see, the Jewish people who had been allowed after 70 years in exile to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city are in great trouble and shame because there's just no wall around the city, and so they have no protection from their enemies. They're struggling just to survive and to stay alive, and so they give Nehemiah this bad report, this bleak report. It really couldn't have hardly been worse and how does Nehemiah respond? This is, this is so important, folks. Don't, don't miss it because this is where assuming a posture of prayer always begins. Nehemiah says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was deeply affected by what he'd heard. I mean, he could have said, oh, that's too bad, isn't it? I'm so sorry, but but what can I do? I mean, you know, God's put me in this important position. I'm an influencer. I'm the king's cupbearer. What can I do about it? But no, (laughs) Nehemiah was deeply moved. he, He tells us that he sat down. Everything in his life stopped, came to a halt more than that, he wept. He burst into tears. He cared so much, he began to shed tears about it. And that wasn't just his initial reaction. It wasn't just a momentary thing, a passing thing. No, he tells us, I mourned for days, and I fasted, and I prayed. He, could, he couldn't get this off his mind. There were times he couldn't even eat because of it. Nehemiah's whole Being was consumed by the gravity of the situation. And I want you to grasp the depth and intensity of Nehemiah's response because, folks, this is where the posture of prayer always starts. God begins to stir something in us. And we get a growing, intense passion to pray about something or someone. And it's not enough just to get slightly concerned about a person or a situation we know needs prayer. We've got to get deeply moved. We've got to get passionate about the person or the situation. So passionate that it actually begins to affect our lives. As I said, when we think of this man, Nehemiah, we usually think of him as the man who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. But never forget, never forget, That before you can rebuild the walls, you first have to weep over the ruins. And this is always the first step in assuming a posture of prayer. We begin to weep over the ruins, the ruins of our own lives, the ruins of someone we care about, or something in our church, or our community, or our city, or some unreached people group, or the world. Hey, I wonder, in 2024, are you willing to let that happen to you? Are you willing to let God break your heart with something that's breaking his heart? Maybe there was a time in the past when you had a passion and a burden to pray for some person or some situation and so, you, you know, you, you prayed fervently, but because you didn't seem to see a whole lot of results and because of the indifference, and, uh, and uh, maybe you, you've just kind of gotten worn out and have given up, or maybe you've even gotten your feelings hurt by someone you were praying for. So you need to pray this morning. Lord, Renew my passion. Rekindle the fire that was once there. I don't have a pr- passion, Lord, to pray right now, but I give you permission, and I ask you to give me the passion, that broken heart. Lord, kindle, rekindle in me a passion to pray. I had a spiritual mentor who who used to say, you know, in the spiritual world, in the spiritual realm, nothing ever changes until somebody hurts, until somebody begins to agonize. So you need to pray. Before we can rebuild the walls, we first need to weep over the ruins and that's what causes Nehemiah to assume the posture of prayer and folks that's where it always begins well now Nehemiah has got this passion and this burden about the situation back in Jerusalem he wants to do something about the ruins, he wants to rebuild the walls but, but it's significant that he doesn't immediately rush in and to see the king, to beg the king to let him go to Jerusalem no before Nehemiah goes to the king, Nehemiah first goes to God. And he waits on God. And he fasts and he prays for days. And, and in, in Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 5 through 10, we, we actually have recorded for us how he prayed and what he prayed for. And so it, it, it tells us so much about assuming a posture of prayer. Let's, so let's just unpack this a little bit. Nehemiah begins by saying, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of steadfast love. Notice, notice that his prayer begins with adoration and praise. Like the Lord's prayer, it doesn't start on earth, it starts in heaven. He focuses on who God is. He's, He's great and awesome, He's a God of steadfast love. He's a faithful God who keeps his covenant. And this is so important, you see, because adoring God, praising God simply for who he is, fixing our attention on God, well, it causes our God to get bigger. Now, not literally, but bigger in our eyes. Actually, when we adore him, we begin to see him for who he always was and is and is to come. And when our God gets bigger, well, then our problems tend to get smaller. So Nehemiah begins with adoration. He gets his focus on God. And and, and then he moves to confession. I confess, he says, the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both I and my family have sinned. Notice how Nehemiah includes himself. I'm at fault too, so, so Lord, don't just forgive us, have mercy on us, but Lord, have mercy on me. It's interesting. Right now, Nehemiah's problem is the king. How do I persuade the king to let me go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls? But you know, before he prays and asks God to change the king's mind, he confesses, Lord, I'm at fault. These ruins are partly the result of my sin and the sins of my ancestors and my family. So he prays, Lord, change me. Lord, change me. Years ago... I was praying for one of my sons. and He was in his late teens at the time, and he had, he had said something to me that, that reflected a kind of a defiant, rebellious attitude and an unwillingness to submit to someone who was in authority over him. Yeah, he said, Dad, I'll, I'll do what he says, but I'll never give him my heart. Well, you know, that just kind of grieved me. You hear him say that. And I found myself praying, Lord, would you change that attitude in him? Well, wouldn't you know, a few days later, when I was praying about that situation, I sensed I heard the Lord say, Steve, uh, where do you think he learned that attitude from? I mean, so often in your own passive-aggressive way, you, you do the very same thing with people that you work with and have to relate to. Yeah. Steve, I want to change him, but first I want to change you. Hello. Hey, let me just warn you. This prayer thing... Can be a dangerous thing. It might just end up changing you. So Nehemiah confesses on behalf of the people and his family, and Nehemiah confesses his own sin. And, and then next it's interesting that Nehemiah begins to remind God of his promises. Remember, he says, the word that you commanded moses and And then he goes on to quote actually some scriptures from the Book of Leviticus and the Book of Deuteronomy to God, where God had made some promises to his people lord, you you, you said that if we were disobedient and turned away from you, we would be scattered and exiled and taken away to foreign lands and And sadly, yeah. We've been there and we've done that. But Lord, you also said that if we turn back to you and we're obedient, you would gather us, bring us back into the land and establish it. So Nehemiah says to God, hey, I'm standing on your promise, Lord. You've got to do what you said you do. I'm claiming your promise, Lord. I'm holding on to your word. You've got to return us to the land and establish us in it. I once heard a a preacher named Robert Smith put it like this. If you want to see God move, tell God what God said. That's what Nehemiah does here. He, he, He reminds God of his promises. And by the way, that's why you need to immerse yourself in the Bible because how can you remind God of his promises if you don't know what his promises are? Yeah, that's right. Do you need to do this in relation to some person or situation you're praying for? As you pray, ask God to show you what promises you need to stand on. What promises in His Word you need to remind Him of? You know, I've found that in my praying if I focus on the person or the situation that I'm praying for, it's easy to get discouraged because so often I don't see a whole lot going on. But when I begin to pray God's promises and I tell God what God said, then it's as if faith begins to rise in me and intensify in me. William Carey was right, folks. He said the future is as bright as the promises of God. And then finally, Nehemiah gets to petition. He makes a specific request known to God. Give your servant success. He says today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. And this is an important part of prayer, isn't it? He told God specifically what he wanted. And God wants us to do that because he cares about specifics and details in our lives. So don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to be be specific in your asking. Well, as as you you can see, there's a whole lot we can learn here from this pattern of Nehemiah's prayer. But there's one more thing about assuming a posture of prayer that I think Nehemiah so well models for us. And it has to do with the patience that is so often a part of assuming a posture of prayer. You see, we we know from the information given to us in this story and the timeline that there's actually four months Go by Four months from the day that Nehemiah hears the bad report about the situation in Jerusalem and the day when he actually asks the king for permission to go to Jerusalem and do something about it. And all along, of course, Nehemiah is deeply concerned. He's passionate about the situation. He's praying about it and fasting even about it. But for four whole months, he really does nothing. He takes no action. He simply waits before God. And often, this is where we make our, our biggest mistake. There's something we're deeply concerned about, but we fail to wait on God, and we just kind of jump right in. Maybe pray a quick prayer, but then jump right in and try to fix the situation and solve the problem ourselves. I remember when I was a young pastor in my 20s wanting to remove the person who was working with the high school youth in the church out of that leadership position that he was in. I mean, he he wasn't a deeply committed Christian. He was shallow in his faith, so how could he take the youth deeper in theirs, it was obvious to me he needed to go. So for a long time, I prayed, Lord, help me get him out of that position. But you know, it wasn't that easy. I couldn't do it. He, he was all the, the youth leader that the youth knew, and they liked him. In addition to that, he had several relatives in that church. Oh, now you're getting the picture, huh? And then one day, I was sitting in my office praying, venting my frustration about the situation to the Lord, and a thought came to me out of the blue. You know, you, you keep asking me to remove him. What I'd really like to do is to change him. I want to make, take him deeper in his faith hello. Well, now, you know, instead of seeing him as a problem, I saw him as a possibility. I began to reach out to him, and at first he was kind of resistant. He pulled back because he sensed my attitude toward him and what it had been in the past. Well, eventually he did come to a deeper faith in Christ, And he began to have a significant impact on the spiritual lives of the youth in that church. But sad to say, I missed most of that. Because I had moved on by that time and was pastoring in another place. You know, we need to wait on God. To be patient in prayer and to be sure that what we do is really God's solution and not our solution to the problem. And then we also need to wait on God for another reason, to make sure that when we do what God's telling us to do, we do it when it's the right time to do it. I I, I love this story. Finally, after four months, Nehemiah goes in to talk to the king. And, um, you know, he's afraid. He's hesitant. Uh, he could lose his job. More than that, he could lose his head. But what happens? Well, amazingly, on that particular day, the king ends up taking all the initiative. And he senses that the, that the usually cheerful Nehemiah is upset about something. And when he asks Nehemiah about it, and Nehemiah tells him about the situation back in Jerusalem, the king says, well, what do you want? And amazing, Nehemiah doesn't have to beg and plead. He, He doesn't even have to raise the issue. Why? Because you see, the king, God had prepared the king's heart. So when Nehemiah finally acted, it was in God's time. And folks, when God's will is done according to God's timetable, things have a way of naturally falling into place. The king says, what can I do to help you? So it's important not only to find out what God's will is, that's important, but when that will is to come to pass, is to be worked out. And how often? How often? I don't know about you. I've learned this the hard way. How often? We miss the Lord's timing. Rush is almost always wrong. Be patient. Wait on God. He's never late, you know. But he isn't usually in a hurry either. And neither was Nehemiah. He has a strong sense of urgency, but he's not in a hurry. Well, let me close where we started with those words of S.D. Gordon. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you have Lord, we don't know how to pray as we ought. In using us to accomplish your purposes in the days ahead in this new year, teach us to pray like Nehemiah. Increase our passion and our persistence and our patience in prayer.
0: Thanks for listening. Here at First Alliance Church, our mission is to passionately pursue God, extend life-changing hope, and disciple people to be Spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. To learn more about our church or to hear other sermons like this one, visit us at faclex.com.